If you're looking for success in the vacation rental industry, Heather Bayer and the team at cottageblogger.com are here to show you that it's entirely within reach. Welcome to Vacation Rental Success, the show that features interviews with industry experts, successful vacation rental owners, and more, all geared toward helping you make it happen. Here's your host, Heather Bayer. Hey, welcome once again to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This is your host, Heather Bayer. I am always so happy to be back with you and to, to be sharing news and views and and great information on this wonderful vacation rental business that we all know and love. And today's guest is a great friend of mine, somebody that I admire hugely and is a huge benefit, just a great benefit to this industry in so many ways. And it's Amy Hynote from VRM Intel. Amy's one of those just wonderful people who is so open and friendly and loves to share what she knows about this industry. And she's been in it for a long time from working with property management companies and, and goes way back. So she has a mass of knowledge about the wider industry, not so much the operational side, but on the strategic side of this business. So she has a lot to share about what's going on in the industry in terms of what the OTAs are doing, what hotels are doing, where the business is going. And uh, and I, I, as I say, I have huge admiration for her and her immense knowledge. So I'm not going to hold you up on this one. Without further ado, I'm going to move straight on over to the interview with Amy. So I'm so delighted to have with me again today, my friend and the most excellent Amy Hynote from VRM Intel. How are you today, Amy? I'm great. I'm excited to be talking to you. I miss hanging out with you. I know. We didn't get much time in San Antonio, really, to hang out, did we? It was just such a frenetic time. But what a great show. You guys did an amazing job. It was just so full of energy and education. I can't wait till the next one. I had a blast. Well, thank you for that. And we, and we did too. You know, we, we, it was, we were unsure about bringing it out of, out of Toronto and out of that beautiful venue we had there. But I think, you know, I mean, who doesn't love San Antonio? <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was beautiful. The weather was beautiful, except for that one rainy night right when it was over. Then we all got a little drenched that night. But um, it was but more than that. I mean, I thought the venue, they just did a good job. The food was good. You always know how to how to throw a party. So, I mean, that was – we always feel wine and dine there. But you had a lot more vendors this year, too. I thought your sponsorship hall was pretty full. It was. It was. We really appreciate those 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 that came. And, it, you know, it's a, it's a tough call for the vendors because – you know, the, the audience is not what they're getting. Then it's not what they're getting at VRM Intel at your events. It's definitely not what they're getting at um, VRMA. It's it's an entirely different type of of audience. In, in fact, it was Andrew McConnell who, who really wrote a good blog post after the event um, because he had been approached by one of the vendors who who said he he was a little bit doubtful about how the um, the audience would play in with his brand, which was generally more directed towards property managers. 
And Andrew said, as an, and I endorse this completely, and I know you will, that every single person there is the property manager of the future. Because these people are paying a lot of, even if they've got one property, paying a lot of money to come to an event like that. And that's, they're, they're not going to do that if they plan on staying still and, and not growing their business further. Yeah, I completely agree with that assessment. It's absolutely true. Most of them are already managing five, six properties of their own. I mean, I think that's another thing that I find interesting there. There are a lot of investors in your group. So they may not be managing properties for other people, but they're certainly managing multiple properties. Yeah, that's right. And that, that always amazes me, actually. You know, although having said that, I, I had seven of my own at one time. So, so I have been there. I'm, down, I'm actually down to none. I've, I've, we've liquidated, wow. we have liquidated entirely um, and now building, building our new home with a, with a two-bedroom apartment in the basement that I'll rent out. Whether we go on in the future to buy something else, I, I don't know. But, uh, but yes, it, was, it just was interesting to see all those people who had multiple, who were, you know, multiple ownership. I just bought an old farmhouse in the country that we're renovating for a rental. Starting all over again. <laughs> I think that's I think that's fantastic. And you know, I, I think that it's it's because the whole fabric of this industry has changed so much over the years. Is that it, it, you don't have to buy in the destinations anymore. You can buy virtually anywhere. And I completely agree <laughs> with you that I'm, it's not overly attractive to me personally right now to buy a two bedroom, two bath condo on the beach. But buying a 1930 farmhouse that with the original wood floors and with fire pits and screened in porches in the middle of nowhere. That's appealing. But, you know, everyone's got their thing. Well, yeah. I mean, I was talking to Tyanne Marsink a couple of weeks ago about the, you know, the, the, the two places she bought in Marthasville. Hers are amazing. The, the old bank. They're so amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think that's so cool. I love what she's doing. And she's right. You take a small town and it doesn't have any vacation rentals in it at all any short-term rentals, anyone who's staying there for work, for a wedding, for a funeral, for a bar mitzvah, anything that you come into town for, not just vacation, there's nowhere to stay except for a hotel. And so I think she's brilliant to be doing this. I know, I know. And I mean, because <laughs> she started with Branson, which, which is, you know, a different animal, is a vacation destination anyway. But then the little, right. one, the little one she has in Unionville, which which she had as a as a long term rental, and then it it was a pot house. So she she decided to get out of that and get into short term rental, and she's doing amazingly with that with a local um, industrial complex, a local business complex, and that's that's where her traffic's coming from. So we're we're looking at it from an entirely different perspective than we did ten years ago when it was simply yeah as you said it would be a condo on the beach, exactly, and um. Not that the condos on the beach are still not amazing, as you yeah. and I both know. We were just there. <laughs> but, uh, the definition of vacation rental or short-term rental has certainly expanded, and guests are looking at it in a different way and not just thinking of it for their traditional vacations, but also for other uses as well. Yes. Speaking indeed. of, yeah. well, the article that you and I were just discussing before we turned it on <laughs> where these hotel companies are choosing to jump into this space. That's, that's a fa that was a fascinating article. I picked up on that um, when it came out earlier in July, um, entitled Blurring Lines, Hotels Get Into the Home Sharing Business. Well, we knew, I mean, this, has been, this is not, it's not new, is it? No, it's really not. I mean, obviously, Hyatt's been in it for a while. Um, and some of them have come in and out. I mean, there are people who have 
Marriott has been in and out at certain points with investments. And of course, they're back in now with Hostmaker, I think in London. And um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with them. What the hotel model needs is an occupancy rate that's higher than what most vacation rental operators need. So I think that destination will derive that so much for them. Like they need to get to that 65, 70% occupancy. But occupancy rates in like a Gulf Shores or Panama City are more like 35 or 40%. Is that right? I didn't realize that. That that seems pretty low. Well, in Canada, what are they on the, in the um, lake area? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're in our, our high season of, of July and August. That's it. A lot of companies don't operate outside of July and August. Well, exactly. I mean, the Outer Banks, I mean, there's nothing there in the winter. So, I mean... You know, you've only got you've got these seasonal locations that don't fit into the hotel model business model very well. So it's going to be interesting to see how that evolves. I think they're trying to find a way to scale that a little bit better so that they can offer those alternatives and destinations that are not your typical hotel destination. Yeah. So so what what impacts this going to have on on property management companies and maybe independent owners as the, as the hotels grow into this market? Yeah, you know, I still think that you are only going to see a major impact in destinations that have really high occupancy rate. Mm-hmm. So Orlando, for example, is one of those. San Diego is one. Um, I think that some of any market that is not as seasonal, it doesn't. It's not just operating on one season, you know, as their core income stream is open for that. But um, I believe that the professionalism that they provide the level of cleanliness that they provide, I think that could that could raise the bar a little bit for vacation rental managers coming up. I think that I think that's what we'll see to some degree. The guest expectations will certainly rise. If they're used to staying in a purpose built Marriott short term rental and then go to a not to put down Branson in, in any way whatsoever, but to a two bedroom log cabin in Missouri you know, and expect the same type of cleanliness, they may not find that. Yeah, that that's an interesting point because you've only got to look through some of the um, Facebook groups where owners in particular are congregating to say, you know, what their what their guests are telling them. And their their guests are telling them that their their expectations are going through the roof now. And, you know, a a, a one hair in a shower can cause a bad review. Well, it's even true at home. Um, If you hire a housekeeping service, you know, your expectations are really high. I think that the whole idea of expect, you know, it's that cliche, the expectations. What is it? Expectations minus reality equals disappointment. Mm -hmm. I believe, and we've talked about that a lot internally about VRM Intel in our team meetings, that your expectation, I mean, setting expectations correctly is so critical. You could have anything. It could be so low quality, <laughs> dirty, and whatever, as long as the guest doesn't expect it to be clean. You know, and I'm not saying to go there. I'm just saying that the managing expectations is the key to success in our industry. And I don't know that we're doing that great of a job. And it's super hard when we're relying on third parties for mm-hmm. you know all the marketing and customer facing information. But I mean, if, if, if the expectation is set properly, the disappointment doesn't happen because the expect, there's no differential between the expectation and reality. 
And we, we joked internally that, you know, as long as that the expectations are just a tiny, tiny fraction lower than the reality, we'll win every time. But I mean, it's really just that trying to keep people from being disappointed by having a differentiation between their expectations and reality. I remember doing customer service training way back in the 1980s. And, and the key phrase was under promise and over deliver. Um, yeah, exactly. And it, and it really hasn't changed since then. You know, I, I know when I'm, when I'm, if I'm writing text for a listing and it's a more rustic property, then I know I have to, Yeah. you know, I, there's going to be mice. So how do you get that across? But you've got to get that expectation across that this is the country. There are mice, there are squirrels, there are ants, there are earwigs. And, <laughs> you know. You won't be lonely. <laughs> <laughs> That that's true. When your white noise, when your white noise is a squirrel in the attic, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I do think it's. I mean, a lot of people want those experiences. I mean, so it's not like that you won't get rentals. It's just that it's better than what's happening right now. So the larger companies who don't ever really see these properties or spend any time vetting them, when they sign them up to a management program. So they go on and in and send a professional photographer to go take the photos. The professional photographer does an amazing job. And then those photos go to an outsourced description writer mm-hmm. who writes the description from that, never having set foot into the property. And so that goes pushes out to HomeAway, to Booking.com, to Airbnb. A guest reads that description, books that property because they can't communicate to ask questions. And, and then they get there and they're completely disappointed. My concern is when they don't come back to stay in vacation rentals at all. It's one thing if they're concerned about, you know, that they don't want to stay in that property again um, going forward. But it's a whole nother thing if a guest decides that they're done with the industry as a whole. And then they tell their friends, don't stay in a vacation rental. This is what you're going to get. And then all of a sudden we start to see a decline in the number of people staying in vacation rentals. That's what I would hate to see. Yeah. What's the, what's the answer then? I think we have to step up the game. I mean, number one, I think that, you know, um, communicating expectations is critical. It's critical from every photo, every description. I know we all talk about it's so important to put great photography on the site, but it's really more important to put realistic photography on the site. Um, One thing that, you know, the photography alone, you know, if if people, if it looks better than what it is, it's the same thing like Match.com or Tinder, you know. You're going to go on a date and put a photo up that doesn't look like you. When you show up, it's not going to be a positive experience. <laughs> I, I, remember, but, I remember years ago seeing, seeing a photograph, and it was an owner who sent me a photograph of their property that looked, you know, it was, it was cute, it was, it was tiny, it was beautifully formed, lovely inside. But it was a very compact photo that didn't show anything on either side of it. And, and it was just, it, get this listed. Um, we, we know we're going to do well with it. And you, you, know, you don't need to come because here's all the photos. Oh, no. And, and it was the most glorious little property. But to either side of it, you know, it was like a little two, you know, just, just traditional little two-bedroom, one-bathroom cabin right on the beach. But to either side of it were these massive mansions. And you oh just have God. to step back a little bit and widen up the photograph. And this place was just dwarfed by, by these two huge, huge properties. And, and the owner was, I mean, he, he had been renting by himself and had never 
uh, well, he said, I, I don't want people to see what's on either side. They'll find out when they get here. <laughs> That's not managing expectations well. No. <laughs> Put it that way. No, and, I, and so, you know, we, we listed it and we stepped back and we took the photograph that said, this is your neighbor to the right, yep. this is your neighbor to the left, this is what you have. However, that aside, you have the most glorious little spot in between. And it did rent and we never had an issue with it. You know, it's, it's, it's just, a, as, as you say, you've got to show the good and, and the less than good as well. Um, and just set those expectations correctly. Let, let's let's just talk briefly about what's what's happening out in the the wild wild world of the OTAs. Anything going on that's of interest at the moment, Amy? Um, I I think some of the interesting stuff is um watching these OTAs kind of begin to to get their feet underneath them in our space. I think, and that's a good for everybody. We're seeing a little bit of, um, we're seeing some reversal of policies at, at HomeAway for the property managers that were were um, sticking points for them, including that HomeAway removed the audit language mm-hmm. so that they can't go in and audit these properties. That was a big deal. Um, they've really tried to increase their communications with property managers. They're doing more listening, a little bit less attacking a little bit less of telling people how it's going to be. Um, I think that there's there's clearly been a major shift internally at home away to focus and realize that they need to um, work with suppliers, that they're not going to be able to just dictate policies. Um, not to say that they still don't think their way is the right way. <laughs> it's still not their way or the highway, but I think they're definitely more sensitive to their tone and more sensitive to getting feedback before they make major, major decisions that affect their earnings. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and also they were starting to see, uh, you know, they were not competing with inventory growth in the same way that other channels were. And so in order to do that, they had to, it was necessary to make a shift. And I, I'm glad to see it. I think it's good for everybody because quite honestly, HomeAway still gets the industry better than anybody as far as how to list those properties and how to manage the expectations. But they still have, you know, a long way to go on the Expedia side. Um, Airbnb is, I think it's interesting because they're really focusing on the property manager right now. I mean, everyone kind of predicted that, so it's not really a surprise. But for the host community, as they kind of catch on to that a little bit more, I believe that we'll see a little bit of that same pushback that we saw in early VRBO days when they bought, when HomeAway bought them, mm-hmm. of well, you're just caring about the professional manager now. You don't care about the the homeowner anymore. And um, you know, this was a platform. VRBO was for <laughs> rentals by owner, and now it's rentals by professionals. And it's not what your core message message was all about. There was a lot of that for a long time. And um, I think Airbnb could could start to see that. You already see it a little bit on the forums um, where ho- where the hosts are feel like they're dwarfed by professional property managers. But in addition to that, you know, Airbnb is adding hotels to their space and they're buying stuff. So, you know, they're diversifying a little bit faster than HomeAway did. So it could be interesting to see how the host community reacts. But that being said, on the shared space um, category, people who are renting parts of their home, there's not really another place for them to go right now. It's kind of a lot like early VRBO days. There's just not another channel. Mm -hmm. I think we may see a little bit of history repeating itself there. One of the things I thought was interesting is recently they announced um, some enhancements to their API 
and that you know that allows software companies to connect to Airbnb so that listings can be managed in bulk. And they also announced a proactive newsletter and forum and kind of sandbox communication tools between Airbnb's tech team and the software developers to get these APIs done. And the reason I found that interesting is kind of a small thing, but we've never seen that done in our space. We've never seen a, a channel or an OTA type you know, company proactively reach out to software companies and developers to communicate with them in terms of connecting and APIs and or connections. And I, that's interesting to me. I think it definitely indicates a, a maturing technology department there um, where they're being proactive and not reactive. And I think we could see a lot more features being added as a result. I think they'll, if, if they're building that tech department that quickly and to be that proactive, I think that they're probably looking at other technology that they should build or buy. I'm probably weighing out those options. Yeah, that that's all. That's also interesting. I mean, from from a personal perspective, I know we we dabbled with Airbnb about six about six months ago, six eight six to nine months ago, and the lack of the API was was you know just got in the way. Um, we we could only list our properties if we went in and did them one by one, or we used a third party that was really expensive. Um, so, so as a, from a, from a small property manager perspective up here in Ontario, it, you know, we're now going to be looking at Airbnb again. That is something that is appealing and makes me you know, more comfortable with, with how they're moving forward with property managers. What about service fees, Amy? There, there's, you know, you, you hear this talk and I've, I heard it at VRSS. It was said a couple of times that watch this space because the time's going to come and it's going to be fairly soon that the service fee will flip-flop over from the guest and it will be a charge to the owner or property manager. Where are we with that? Well, first of all, nobody really knows because there are three companies that are kind of driving this. And, well, four if you add in Booking.com because their refusal to add it is actually what's kind of mm-hmm. caused the hiccup in the entire you know environment. But... um looking at those four companies and how they're kind of approaching it, there have certainly been signs. Um, Airbnb has been testing um, the switching, you know, some fee structure shifts um, and HomeAway in their earnings call, not this past one, but the one before, um, Mark Okerstrom, you know, Expedia CEO, certainly indicated that they would be, you know, kind of reevaluating, you know, their fee structure going forward. I, um, but they also said, and I think this is kind of where they all are right now, that they have a lot of pricing levers, and they want to be able to pull, um, push and pull those as they need to, and as the as the economy shifts, as the marketplace shifts, as the customer behavior shifts, and I think that if they see that they are losing a significant share of bookings to channels that do not have the fee um, and feel like they can make up that amount by charging the host or manager or owner directly and not lose anything in the process, I I think that they will make that shift. But I um, honestly, I don't think that that's what, that's what they're seeing. I think that they are seeing that the traveler fee has a lot of value 
And um, so I don't think it's going to be as quick as people think, but I could be wrong. I'm wrong all the time. But I, just from watching and hearing what they're saying, the what the, the CEOs and executives are saying about it, there doesn't seem to be an immediate desire to get rid of that traveler fee. In fact, it seems like they're really pushing Booking.com, that Booking.com is not losing bookings by charging more. And they're not, nobody's really kind of upset about their their current status right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So um, what, 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 what is it, how does this impact um, the book direct movement? You know, if the traveler fee is going yeah. here, here and, and around for, for some considerable time more, where, where does, where does this, how, how does it impact what, what we started, what you started with the group back in January of this year? I think we were all pretty impressed with what the owners and managers were able to do on that day. I mean, I think the last count that I saw was 31 million reached on social. And I can't remember how many emails it was. It was it was millions of direct emails to consumers who have stayed in vacation rentals before that were sent out by owners and managers all over the world. It was a pretty successful campaign and, um, and it was grassroots and it was not to benefit anyone else except for the owner or the manager and really the guest in my opinion, <laughs> because I think the guest has a better experience when they book directly. But, you know, we use that hashtag book direct and, um, you know, we got, we saw some criticism a few months after the fact. And I believe that two of the, well, a few of the, critiques. One was that if you make the hashtag book direct campaign about price, then it's just a race to the bottom and everybody will just start undercutting rates and, you know, then nobody will make money. And I 100% disagree with that. I mean, there's not a hotel chain out there right now. In fact, there's not even a retail brand out there that doesn't offer some form of a price match, best rate guarantee. Um, and, on top of that, they put out messaging all the time. You can go to any website. You can go to Hilton Marion um, and see these this messaging about how Booking Direct allows the guests to save money. Um, you can go to Best Buy right now, and you can see a, a best price guarantee. You can go to Walmart, and you can see a, a price match you know, guarantee. I do not believe that property managers and owners are – or in a race to the bottom on pricing if they decide to offer the best price on their own sites and when people book directly. Um, in fact, I think that it's the right thing to do, and I think it's been proven um, across multiple industries that that is the best practice way to go. Um, the other critique that, that we heard was that we should have had a centralized website, that we should have built some type of website for guests to go to and learn about everything and and have standardized graphics and all kinds of centralized messaging and and also so some type of uniform offering that every manager and owner was going to offer to guests who chose to book to book direct and you know as you know because we did it together we had discussed the idea of putting together a website for this um, and putting together graphics but quite honestly book direct the movement was about connecting the guests directly with the manager and homeowner it wasn't about creating another website in the middle another middleman that was confusing for the guests to go to that also got between the the supplier and the guest so we that was why we decided not to have a middleman or a centralized website and to create a uniform offering 
from managers and homeowners around the country or around the world. Um, I can't even imagine what that would be. <laughs> what huh. It would take. Yeah, there were some other suggestions in that post. It was on Matt Landell's site um, that were that we should be sending out collateral, I think, that um, or some type of uh, postcard. I just still can't imagine. You know, our industry is based on non-uniformity. So coming up with a uniform offer, I just I feel like that would have been a a quick path to failure. If we had gone that route in the campaign. It was interesting to see um, as we went through the months from February to to now. And and I've got no scientific basis for this. But it's just just eyeballs on a page. But seeing so many more owners saying, I'm 60%, I'm 70%, I'm 80% booked direct now. I'm now away from the OTAs. It, it, It just seems that there is a... A, a movement um, in in some areas for people to do this book direct. Now we don't know where this has come from, but I I, I can't imagine that there wasn't a massive impact with that amount of people reached on social and and those email and the impact of all those emails. And I know there's 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 quite a few owners who were very active on Matt Landau's site who are now one hundred percent booking direct and and if you go to their sites then they are all promoting no booking fees well i mean right now the current status of the industry is that those fees are there and that's the truth on top of that a lot of people on the management side who are listing on booking.com and paying 12 percent are adding that 12 percent to the rate so it's still 12 percent higher on booking.com than it is on their site mm-hmm. they're just grossing up the rate. So I believe that, you know, it, regardless of who's collecting the fee, the managers, especially now that we don't, but currently we don't have any rate parity requirements. And after this latest decision in Europe, I don't know that we're going to see rate parity requirements. There's no, there's no movement in that realm at all of enforcing rate parity. If I'm going to list a hundred dollar a night property on, on booking.com, Right now, most managers are putting that $100 property on Booking.com for $112 a night. Yeah. And adding that 12% directly to the rent so or to the consumer. So there's still that fee mm-hmm. um, that consumers are still paying more on the channels. And so I think as long as that's the case, it's certainly more um, advantageous to, to let people know. Yes. <laughs> you know. If anything else, you're just actually just that's what we call it guest education day. It's like we're just educating guests that there's an additional amount that they pay by using other channels. We have other sites that do this. It's not just the four, you know, it's not just Airbnb, TripAdvisor, and HomeAway. A lot of the regional sites are offering transactional fees too. Mm-hmm. So another book, another book direct day, another guest education day in the in the future. I yeah, I think we have to do it, don't you, Heather? I mean, well, I think one of the things we had discussed is whether or not we wait until February again and do it on the same time, or we would do two a year and do one coming up in October. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something to consider. Yeah, well, watch this space, folks, because I think, you know, this 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 is not going to go away. This this um, campaign will not go away and in the probably in the format that we delivered it the first time round because that seemed to be mighty successful. It allowed everyone to be them. It allowed every manager and owner to put out the messaging in the way that they saw fit 
and direct the traffic directly back to them and not back to someone else where they might or might not get that traffic. To me, that doesn't make sense. And, you know, any kind of potential offering, a lot of managers and homeowners offered something on that day. Um, Mostly in, to be fair, mostly on the manager side in the form of discounts. There were, you know, book today, save 20% kind of stuff, but they do that all the time. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, there's certainly room for everyone to to create their own offer around it. I can't see, and maybe I'm wrong, Heather, but maybe, I mean, I'm reading Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert right now, so maybe it'll come to me, but I can't come up in my mind with some type of uniform offering that every manager and homeowner could offer on the same day that would would make sense. Well, let's watch this space because I know this is going to be something coming soon. Now, you talked about February and we talked about Elizabeth Gilbert. So let's talk now about the Women's Conference. And let's kick off with why, why do you think there's a need for this, Amy? Um, quite honestly, well, the industry is run by women. I, I, I'm not. Please forgive me, all you men listening right now. But um, women dominate this space. They dominate it from the front office to to the back office. So what we're seeing is that um, I mean that we there are just conversations that happen among women that do not happen at the conferences that are led by men. And in most of the conferences that are out there, including mine, most of the speakers are men. Most of the people who are willing to speak are men who maybe it's an ego thing where they like to promote themselves you know, as thought leaders. But we do see a lot of a lot of men willing to step up and 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 get on stage and, and provide education where. And honestly, I think a lot of the women are just working. You know, we don't delegate well, so we take on everything and there's just not as much um, driving. You know, there's not as much conversation being led by the women in the industry in spite of the fact that they're the ones who are who are doing the work. So the other thing is that there are some political conversations that don't happen um, in the male-led conferences. And some of that includes we don't discuss diversity in our industry, although it's a huge, huge deal. We don't talk a lot about workforce development. Um, we've never addressed climate change. Um, so things like that. Uh, I, and I think that definitely some workplace um, workforce management in terms of conflict resolution. Um, also, we're, we're doing some life skills with not life skills, but some business things like we're doing a strategic planning session about how to build your business strategy. We have a session on delegating and what, what, what to give up and what to, to keep on your plate. We have a lot more creative sessions, I think, here in workshops than what we've seen in the conference before that are hands-on. I, I just think it's it's just a a more relevant conference, in my mind, for women than what we've seen in the past. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So just, just talk, about, talk a little bit about where it is, when it is, and what people can expect in terms of your keynotes, because I know you've got the most amazing keynotes, so you need to talk about them. I'm so excited about our keynotes. Uh, and I'm so excited about this conference anyway. The venue is the Ritz-Carlton. And I know everybody was like, what are you thinking? <laughs> you know, nobody can afford to go to the Ritz-Carlton. But they gave us a room rate of $229 a night, which is, for New Orleans, it's also the week before Mardi Gras. So if you stay a few extra days, you jump into parades. Um, it's just, it's an amazing hotel. It's um, 
I, in fact, I even think the hotel for the Vegas VRMA is even more than that. Um, but the the way they treat you when you walk in the door is just very. Now wait, I should probably be careful about setting expectations. <laughs> but, uh, but it's just that princess feeling, you know what I mean? The hotel is done in old Southern type decor, and it's just a really unique feeling to be there. But um. And it's actually on the corner of Canal and Bourbon. So if you've ever been there, it's right there. There are, um, I think there are eight five-star restaurants within walking distance. It's just the premier location in New Orleans. Um, On top of that, we have Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, and Big Magic. Um, And by the way, I'm reading Big Magic right now and highly, highly recommend that book to people in this industry. Um, And... um, but anyway, so getting her was was a really big coup for us. I just we didn't think that we were going to be able to for a while, and then it finally came through. And so she'll be talking about creativity and about um, about how to how to conquer our fears and and take steps and take bold steps when we may be a little bit afraid to sometimes in our lives. And we also have, and I'm super excited about this. We have Lady Fiona Carnavron from High Clear Castle in the UK. And High Clear Castle is Downton Abbey. It's the setting for Downton Abbey. And I don't know if you've heard this yet, but they've just they just started filming on the movie at High Clear. I, um, I, I, hadn't, so, I hadn't heard that. I knew the, the movie was coming, but uh, hadn't heard oh that they gosh, started filming. Huge. I am such so a Downton Abbey fan. We, oh, me too. <laughs> so... But the biggest thing is High Clear Castle is one of those castles that's been, you know, obviously hundreds of years old. Actually, I'm not sure how old it is, but um, it may be more than that. But it's very expensive to maintain these castles, and they have to rely on tourism, you know, in order to do that. Well, in England, there's a lot of competition, like, like everywhere else, you know, for tourism, and so some of it's very difficult to continue to stay relevant for these owners of these, you know, and these managers of these castles. Well, Lady Carnarvon thought outside the box and started pitching movie sets and TV and really just trying to reach that entertainment, you know, media world and was, got a really big score, but she worked to get that, you know, Downton Abbey didn't just roll up in her driveway and say, Hey, we want to film here. And the movie didn't just happen. I mean, there was a lot of petitioning to make that happen. And um, and now she's done so many other things, too, to grow revenue for the castle so that they can maintain the castle for another thousand years. And she's just brilliant. And she does it so effortlessly. She's just, um, when you see her speak, it's just, it's so authentic and genuine that it's almost startling. And um, so I'm really excited about her coming. And on top of that, we have, and, and the other major sessions, we've got workshops, small group discussions. We're having a Down Abbey inspired high tea. We're having an Eat, Pray, Love cocktail reception. It's just going to be a good time. It is going to be amazing. Amazing. I'm, I'm actually on my road trip in, um, <clears throat> in down west because I'm going away for February, uh, January to, to April. And I'm parking my husband in a, in a in a campground in Dallas, right next to the airport. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. I leave him there in the middle of February um, with the dogs, so I can fly down to New Orleans. Well, I am. I couldn't be more excited. I think we have also we've got 
tracks for large property managers who uh, who manage over 500 properties and we have tracks for homeowners that manage one so it's it, there is a something for everyone in this this is definitely an ecosystem event um it's not designed specifically you know for for one type of property manager or another and i think that was another thing that we've really worked through to make sure that everyone felt welcome there and inspired yeah well i shall put to i'll I, I don't know how far you are with um, with promoting this, but uh, but I'll put as much information as I can in the show notes. And um, people- yeah, the registration is up, um, so it's vacationrentalwomen.com, and so it's um, you can go there right now and register. We um, only have 500 seats, and we've sold, I believe, 120 at this point, um, and we're pretty far out. So I, there's no doubt. I mean, we feel pretty strongly unless something super weird happens that we're going to sell this out. Um, so I highly recommend getting your ticket earlier than later. Also, the hotel is limited in their rooms and um, getting that reservation done sooner than later, I, we advise that as well. Okay. Well, I'll make sure that's in there. Um, the last thing I want to to chat about is is the magazine because VRM, VRM Intel has gone from strength to strength and you know, there's there's other magazines out there um, that that just don't touch on the the quality of the articles and the value that's offered because it's it, because I have writers like Heather Bear. <laughs> <laughs> you, well, why. You, you know, I, I I've I've done some articles for you, but I I just absolutely love getting my copy so I can you know just read all those diverse perspectives on the industry. From so many different people, from complete independence to to, to to people who've been in the industry for for twenty, thirty, or longer years, and yeah, you do a magical job with that. And I, you know, if 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 I've got listeners out there who are not subscribed to VRM Intel, then go to the link at the bottom of the show notes and get subscribed today. But I want to talk to you, Amy, just briefly before we finish about your new project. Yeah, we're launching a new magazine, Heather. I think that's, I, um, that's fantastic. <laughs> you can blame this on Elizabeth Gilbert's big magic book. <laughs> we're launching a new magazine. And it's called Second Home Quarterly. And um, so it's actually SHQ is kind of what it looks like. Um, we're having using the, the initials and the masthead. What we're doing is we're taking some of the same ideas that we have with VRM Intel and taking them to the for the home specifically for the homeowner community and but we're also including in this magazine more about purpose-built design um a little bit more about you know we discussed but how um to design your vacation how to design your property for a rental um we're doing more in this one about real estate markets that are hot investment properties that are hot um or not (laughs) and um really a lot more driven around the entire experience of selecting, buying, designing, maximizing the income, and then selling an investment property. So it's much, it's a, the range of content is, is a lot larger in this magazine, but at the same time, we truly feel like the homeowner community is engaged in a way that is pretty attractive. Um, just reading some of the forums, there's just so much um, enthusiasm for the industry on the homeowner side and just really wanted to be a part of it more than anything. Um, but no, I, 
you know, I think that with the quarterly magazine that we're able to keep the quality of the content high enough because we spend enough time gathering it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we're trying to put out, you know, dozens of articles every single month, I just feel like in any magazine that just, it, it allows the level of quality and the focus on the quality of the content to, mm-hmm. to kind of subside a little bit. We just wanted to make sure that it's still incredibly relevant. We're also designing it to be a really high gloss, sophisticated magazine, much more so than VRM Intel. You know, so that's something people want to to keep, not just for the you know the content inside, but also that it's attractive enough on the outside that you want to have it out in front of you. Well, that's lovely. So I will whatever information you provide to me on that, I'm gonna put in the show notes as well. When's it likely to um appear? When's when's do you, do you have a date for the first edition publication? So we're taking some um, subscriptions right now, which are going to be free. This is going to be another ad-based magazine for at least for the first year without charging for subscriptions. And you can go to shquarterly.com or secondhomequarterly.com and sign up for a subscription. And the, lo- the actual website piece of it is going to launch on September 10th. And then the first magazine will come out at the end of October. Excellent. Look forward to that. So that will be just about the time of the of, just about the time of VRMA then, just after VRMA. And Heather Bayer will be writing in this first issue. <laughs> I, I, I have really my, I have my article all all planned out already. I'm really excited about what you're writing about too. In <laughs> fact, do you mind sharing that a little bit? I'm pumped about what you're doing here. One of the reasons is that I'm building my own home at the moment. And within that home, I'm building a two-bedroom apartment. And I've spent the last 10, 15 years buying used properties, properties that other people have had and haven't had them as vacation homes. And I've spent an inordinate amount of time renovating and refurbishing and, and making, them, making them suit my market. And what I'm doing now is, is starting from scratch and making absolutely everything in this part of this home to be aimed at my target market. So my article is going to be about really the, the, the verses, you know, um, buying a second home that has never been used for vacation rentals and um, refurbishing it versus building something that is custom to your specific market. I'm so excited about this. It's exactly the kind of content that we wanted to roll out with. Um, I'll add to that, Andrew McConnell, they're completing a second home investment survey that will be included in the magazine. And Cliff Johnson is um, writing, who used to be the CEO of Vacasa, our COO, sorry, um, is doing a huge um, article about how to get involved in regulations when you don't live in a city. Mm-hmm. So when you're a second homeowner in the city, how you can affect change and battle some of the upcoming regulations there. Those are just some of the things we're working on right now. Um, Richard Vaughton will be in this issue. So excited about his, his writing. And Matt Landau has an amazing article on limited edition, the concept that he's been working through on his blog. So I am, I'm thrilled with what's, what this first issue is going to look like. Wow. Wow. You've, I've, I've, gosh, I've got some very high value company in there. <laughs> you've just really set the bar higher for me (laughs) as you should (laughs) 
Oh, okay. um, well, I'm, I'm really super excited about it. And more than that, I think that the industry as a whole, I know you guys are seeing some really dramatic increases in revenue in, in um, Canada right now in the Lake Country. Mm-hmm. But um, some of the destinations in the U.S. are not seeing as, as much positive, I guess, um, year-over-year revenue changes here. And um, we're seeing a lot of destinations that are flat, a lot of property managers that are slightly down. This year, which is a little concerning here because in the U.S., we believe that the economic conditions this summer on paper were right. International travel has been down. Um, the gas prices here are relatively low. We haven't had any major storms. Um, there's just been a, you know, a, the economy's good. You know, there's just a, a, everything on paper looked like this was going to be an amazing year coming off of what last year was, was a difficult year for property managers. So I, um, it's going to be interesting to see how the data comes out at the end of the year. But right now, um, I think we're seeing a little bit less of a gain this year that we expected. So I'm interested to, if that's what you're seeing in your market, that that's probably not abnormal. It's probably what a lot of your competitors are seeing as well. Yeah. Well, it's uh, you know as ever, it's it's always it's it's always interesting. There's nothing really static about this this market. We've we've got to be on the ball all the time. Don't you agree? I completely agree. And I think that what I think my what the takeaway from that is that the the rules of the game are changing. Um, what we had as leading economic indicators don't seem to hold right now. And so I um will determine what those new rules are, you know, over the you know coming months and years, but. There's certainly some major market shifts that are happening that that are just allowing a little bit less or providing a little bit less predictability, mm-hmm. I think, in our industry than what we've had in the past. Hey, Amy, that's a great note to end on. Um, you've, you've been absolutely amazing uh, on this on this episode. Great information, great conversation. I've I always love talking to you and can't wait to see you again, which probably I, I guess will be at, uh, in, in Vegas in October. Yeah. Yeah. I will be there. Are you doing anything else this fall? Uh, not a great deal. Just moving into my new house and, uh, and getting it ready for rental or getting the, my <laughs> lower floor ready for rental. Um, and then, uh, then yes, going to Vegas and oh yes, I am. I've got to share my Christmas plans with you. Mike and Andrea, Mike, my, my son and his wife, who have been planning on buying a boat for the last 10 years, I think. Mike has had this dream. And then this spring, he, he did it. They did it. They bought their 40-something foot catamaran, went over to, um, to the British Virgin Islands in June and sailed it down to, to Grenada. Um, which wasn't without its issues because it's the first real time that he's sailed in an open ocean. And uh, oh my god! <laughs> so they spent three. I would be terrified. Yeah, three days and three nights at sea, and as as Andrea described it, it was like being in a popcorn maker. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredibly brave of them to do this. I, I he was know. talking about it at the last conference, and I was like, "That's insane! Like, I would never." It's just so incredibly brave. Well, but they're they, going all around the world, aren't they? Well, I, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Three, three days and three <laughs> nights at sea was almost enough to, 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 for him to say, 
yeah, I might wait till the kids are a little bit older before we do this. But anyway, right. so so that boat is now down in Granada, and I'm um, we will be we will be vacationing for Christmas in St. Lucia on a sailboat. Oh my gosh, are you kidding? <laughs> no. Wow. Isn't isn't that so jealous? Oh, I mean, we we've had Christmas with Mike and Andrea for the past eleven years, so it was you know. The, the relationship I have with my daughter-in-law is is second to none. And it was her who said, she, she said, if you guys don't come down here, we will abandon this and come back to, to Ontario for Christmas because I'm not having my Christmas oh without my you. And so, well, come on, guys. I, well, I, yeah, I, that's, I've given it to Lisa. Yeah, I'm sort of lost for words there because <laughs> why why would I stay here when I can go to St. Lucia for Christmas? So, uh, so yeah, that, that's, well, it makes so you asked what I'm doing. So that's, that's part of what I'm doing. So. <laughs> well, if you guys, um, I think there are a bunch of us listening, <laughs> talking to you that if you need some company, <laughs> we're happy to, <laughs> happy to join you on this little trip. Oh, well, I mean, a- that I'm so happy for you and for them. I just say it's fulfilling your dream like that. It's just so inspiring oh. when people do it. Oh yeah. I'm amazing. I mean, Mike has never wavered from his dream. Never. And and to see it come to fulfillment was just, yeah, it was a bit of a tearjerker, really, when it actually happened. Really is. I'm so glad to hear they're enjoying it, too. Yeah. So anyway, so I will see you in, um, in Vegas in uh, October. And ha- all those links are going to go in the bottom of the show notes. So anybody can go along and register for the Women's Summit and sign up and subscribe to both VRM Intel and SHQ. Um, anything else you want to add? No, no. I um, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it as always, and I look forward to seeing you too. And um, definitely go subscribe and give us some feedback on what you'd like to see in the magazine. Okay, that's great. Well, a huge thanks to Amy Highnote for joining me today and uh, and talking about all those different topics. Now, I for one am super excited about the. Women's Summit, and uh, as, as I mentioned, we'll be flying to New Orleans from Dallas in February to go uh, do that, and I will be speaking there as well. So I'm I'm very hyped up about that too. Uh, also excited about the new magazine. For those of you, as I mentioned, who have not already subscribed to VRM Intel, then do so because some of the articles are really, really insightful. There was a great one just recently by Tyan Marsink. And you know that Tyann's been on the show recently. And you will recognize many, many of the uh, the writers, the contributors' names, because they too have also been on this podcast. So you get to read what they've written as well as hear what they have to say. So definitely go sign up for that. And of, and of course, um, the new magazine, Second Home Quarterly, which I think is terrific. Can't wait to read that is going to be a hit, I'm quite sure. So uh, go subscribe to that too. So this was quite a lengthy episode. So so now we're just approaching the season of fall. And what is it? Mr. Mellow Fruitfulness. And I'm really, really looking forward to a little bit of downtime. Looking forward to getting my house set up. I'll be starting to talk about that fairly soon as I prepare it for rental. That's going to be a lot of fun. 
So in the meantime, thank you once again for listening. If you want to contact me or have any messages for Amy, then you can do so either on the show notes um, on cottageblogger.com or you can send me an email at heather at cottageblogger.com and hopefully I'll, I'll get back to you fairly soon. Bearing in mind that, you know, I'm, I am in the middle of a house move and probably going to be putting a few things on the back burner for a week or two while I get all settled in my new home. So I will look forward to seeing you again or being with you again next week. And until then, have a great day, have a great week, and I'll see you soon. This episode of Vacation Rental Success is over, but don't worry, Heather will be back soon. Want more great resources? Visit cottageblogger.com for tips, tricks, downloads, and strategies to help you achieve profit from your vacation rental business.